Yeah. Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of This Feral Life. Uh, glad to have you with us. Sorry I missed you last week. Uh, it was America Day, and we were busy uh, almost dying at SeaWorld. Oh, yeah. That was, they almost uh, killed us. That was an unpleasant experience. Yeah, I mean, I, that was my first time ever going to SeaWorld, and naturally they tried to kill me. <laughs> first off, I was unaware that SeaWorld doesn't have animals. Okay, it has... They do. They have flamingos. It's a... Janky penguins. Uh, they have the orcas, the two dolphins. giant giant whales. I didn't see the penguins any are not janky. I love the penguins. And then two very large sea turtles, and that was it. Like that was it. I thought Sea World would be like animals. No, it's not a zoo. The things like 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 cheap ass. Uh, what is that place you want to go to all the time? Disneyland. I want to go. Do not ruin Disneyland for me. <laughs> it's like it's like a cheaper Disneyland. Don't do it. I well, love Disneyland. We are going to Disneyland. Anyway, we have like tickets, right? Because we we pay a certain amount, and you get tickets to like free go there all the time. I'm a platinum member. Yeah, whatever that means. Because uh, my wife likes to go there, walk around. It gives mm. it gives the daughter a chance to get really tired. She looks at a bunch of stuff. Yeah. She uh, says hi to the like six penguins. And, like, a few, uh, like, uh, flamingos. By the way, if I get a chance, I'm totally taking a, a flamingo home. I think I think our, our our front yard would look really good with a live flamingo. They were very pretty. They were very pretty. Was, yeah, so I'm impressed. just that mom that likes to take my daughter to lunch on a Saturday, and then we stroll around and, and get some steps in. So I love walking three miles there, and it's perfect. And she loves the horsies, and... Watching the penguins and all this stuff. So, so despite let's, let's talk about that night. Despite being We're calling a platinum you out. member, yeah, I had never been, and so I because you always go when I'm at work. I can't help that your work schedule does not accommodate my schedule. So, I'm but always, we work with it. I'm so like, I decided that hey, you know they're gonna have a cool firework display. Let's let's go. And so it was just one of those last-minute, spur-of-the-moment things. I hadn't read reviews or anything. Maybe if I had, I would have known beforehand. So that's me not prepping, okay? Um, but maybe I would have known how disastrous it could have potentially been, and which it was. Uh, so it was about 50,000 50, people deep. Like, oh, no uh, joke. God, I mean, least. it was an ungodly amount of people. I would say and it was probably closer to 100,000 The firework display was in the middle of the lake, in the center of the park, and you could literally see, like, people just crowded and clustered around the whole lake, all, all the way around. I mean, it was really, it, it was pretty daunting to see that a sea of people on every side. And so... You know, we're enjoying the firework display, and I thought it was okay. You know, from what I read, though, people were like, eh, it was very subpar. It had exactly five more fireworks yeah. than their normal every night display. I just wanted to take my daughter or our daughter to go see some fireworks, you know, some fireworks that night. So we thought, okay, it'll be, it's a controlled area. You know, they're going to have some fireworks. At least she gets to see them and enjoy them. And most importantly, like, it's free because we're platinum members. So free parking, free entry, all that good stuff. So, um, I thought it was a great idea. And, boy, was I wrong. So, they had the display, you know. And nowhere for anybody to sit. Nowhere for anybody to sit. I really thought that they were going to use the stadium. But, like I said, it was a sea of people on every side. Like, anywhere you turned. And it was just incredibly daunting to see that many people clustered in that small of area. Anyway, um, so, then they, um, you know, they had the display. 
I see people start leaving and walking off, which we should have done, you know, but I'm here, like, we're waiting for the grand finale of fireworks, I guess, <laughs> thinking, like, it's going to happen, there's going to be more, and then nothing happened, right? But by that time, like, people were already leaving in droves. Well, here's um, the part that, that bothered me about that, is that they knew there was, it was a holiday, that they were going to have holiday surge of people, and yet they didn't staff for it. They let all the staff go, like, at the normal time instead of, like, because they stayed later to do the, the fireworks show, right? It happened after the park would normally be closed. So everybody that was supposed to go home on time went home. Like, they turned off the lights and went home. Literally turned off the lights, there was, was yeah incredibly got, surprising. You've got 100,000 people or so in a park many miles from the entrance, and it's solid pitch black. There's no lights at all. They, all the security went home. All the workers There's went no, home. No crowd control. None at no all. No lighting. None I mean, at this all. could have been one of those situations where somebody could have just making the out, yeah freaked screamed. out, made the wrong move, and people were going to be there was going to be a trample. There's going to be a trampling. Yeah. Because um, so, we were literally like elbow to elbow with 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 just a sea of people. Yeah. And nobody really knew where they were going. Like you'd be following like with just the herd. And then you'd but run into like let a me wall. let me describe how you're how close you're following each other because that's how many people were in that were in that area. It was like you're literally taking these little tiny steps forward and literally on somebody's heels already. So how close are you to literally touch the person in front of you their heels? I mean, it was just ridiculous. Well, it's so dark that everybody like you couldn't see anything, and if you. If, and well, I feel claustrophobic. I mean, yeah, I'm short. I had to put know? I put I put our daughter up on my shoulders. Just to keep her from getting squished. And uh, it, it was just, it was miserable. People were like, oh, why don't you turn your cell phone camera on? I was like, yeah, a lot of people did. But, you know, here's the problem. Is your cell phone camera is not going to reach out there 200 yards or so. And let you see that there's a fence or a gate or something there. When I say it's pitch black. It's pitch black. It was, like, I literally no had moon. to turn on the lights on my cell phone. And shine it in front of my husband and myself. So that we, like, you know, could see. And, like, people around me, I could tell they were grateful for it. But, I, you know, I'm shorter, so I'm starting to feel claustrophobic. And I'm like, okay, we're almost there. And it's a good walk around the park. Well, I mean, you're talking, if the, if, the, if the full park is like, I think it's about three miles. If I calculate correctly, it's about three miles. Um, but it was like half the park, you know, because you're walking to the exit. So it was like a mile and a half at least. You know, just walking at that pace behind people in the dark. And you can't breathe. And it was it was it pretty scary. Us, uh, it took us an hour. So that's not plus. even the worst part. Yeah. So let's get to the next part. Oh yeah. So then they have us no funneling control. no traffic control funneling into one or three open gates. Now they um, have a whole bunch of them. They just the chose people not went, to open the, people the other ones. Home. Yeah. And so they just locked up their so gates. So I guess they didn't have enough security or manpower to like man the gates or I whatever saw the case may be. One security guard the entire um, time. So then we get to our vehicles and naturally everybody starts trying to back up and drive out. Um, before we know it, there's a cluster of vehicles, some of them backing into each other, people yelling, people flipping each other off. Because they just spent um, like an hour, hour and a half trying yeah. to get out in the bitch black dark. No crowd control. Like, you couldn't even move. So me yeah. and my husband chose not to even start the vehicle. I mean, we started the vehicle. We had air conditioning. Um, but we chose not to move because why? There was nowhere to go. We Literally the, nowhere to go. Just popped the trunk and started making like lemonade. So um, <laughs> I, that's another story too. I decided that I was going to make fresh lemonades and I had all the supplies with me. Um, and it was just funny. I was like, you know what? It is 
damn hot. I am thirsty. I'm just going to pop my the back of my truck and make a lemonade, a fresh lemonade. People thought it was hilarious. I should have really started selling them, honestly, if I wanted to monetize and capitalize oh, on the moment. People but no. totally would have yeah, people too. told People were walking by and stuff, but I wasn't going to do that. I was just, I mean, people were not in the mood, and I just did not want to, I don't know. I, just, took us I didn't think it was a good idea. Another anyway, hour and a half to get out of that yeah, parking lot. Yeah, we were there for an hour and a half. So we were we finally got to our vehicle. There was the, uh, the one shirtless, talking, shirtless guy who decided to yeah. drink, like the drunk shirtless You're, guy. What time did the did the display end? I would say the display ended no later than like 10 something. He, did, we he distracted traffic. didn't get he was out of hero. the entire park and the parking Mr. lot until about almost 1 a.m. Shirtless guy is a hero. Yes, Mr. Shirtless Guy, we applaud you. Yes. We recognize you. We saw you. He had his shirt on. <laughs> he was not shirtless. He had his shirt on. Gentlemen, you are a scholar and a hero, and thank you very much for taking the initiative to like start directing traffic and getting us out of that clusterfuck. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. going to cuss because it it, it really is, was bad. It deserved it. So it was just really bad. Well, they also shut down all but one or two lanes. Now, there's a whole bunch of lanes normally to get in and out of SeaWorld. But they shut them all down because all the people manning them went home. So there was only like the maintenance, like where the garbage trucks come in and out. Yeah. So uh, that was it. Never again. I'm never going on a holiday again. Ever, ever, well, ever Well, I mean, you should do holidays my way. Yeah. My way is more fun. Yeah, that, so anyway, we learned our lesson, but we just wanted to share that story because it was freaky and it was dangerous. Zero out of ten, do not recommend. Yeah, do not recommend. So anyway, moving on. If you see me start talking nice about uh, SeaWorld, it's because they offered me a lot of money. <laughs> and <laughs> Maybe it was you. I mean, I've always had a great time out, but I, you know what? I always go on the weekend, during the day, yeah. on not a holiday, and so we get to... I'm, I'm talking like I get to get my walk in and my daughter gets to enjoy the rides and the you know shows and all that good stuff and we love it and we, it just gives us something to do so anyway hopefully we don't have that same experience when we go to Disney because it's gonna happen so I don't know why do we have to go <laughs> to Disney I'm going is I'm it because going. you don't love me anymore no you're going with me I'm gonna drag <laughs> you and we'll stay at the Disney resort the safari resort I can't. Can I send uh, Animal Kingdom? Like or when whatever. people get it, what, old time and days when they got into combat, they could send a second. You know, like <laughs> that, the, there's no second. You don't have a clone. <laughs> I just send somebody else who wants to go, friend. Oh, don't even volunteer that because my BFF will definitely jump at that. Cool. <laughs> I'll go fishing. Who wants to meet down at the coast and have a hell of a blowout fishing barbecue trip while the wife's going to <laughs> Disney World? You'll have a hell of a lot of fun. You can't do that. That's not a that's not a thing. Why? You can't compete with my fun. My fun's more fun. No, not yeah, without me. My it's not. Doesn't have my At least that's not what you tell me, so Well, my, I mean, it's gonna be great. I have a lot of fun. You know, fishing and hang out with people I actually like and not have to breathe everybody's air. It'd be a great time. Anyway, uh, today's episode is going to be about uh, bread making. Making bread, the history of bread, all sorts of fun stuff like that. Um, bread is a very, very important survival item, and it's going to be in short coming here pretty quick. Thank you, uh, bad weather. Yay, bad yeah, weather. This whole, like, Man, it's been just climate. a it's terrible been season terrible for, for, it, too. for a lot of people, a lot of farmers, a lot of crops. Yeah, like terrible. Uh, so I got a uh, little, little bit of history of the bread coming up here. One really, really cool thing is that so they found a charred uh, crumbs of flatbread by made by the 
Natufian hunter-gatherers from wild wheat and wild barley well, mixed with plant roots, it was between 14,600 and 11,600 years ago. Um, it was That was at Shibaku, uh, Black Desert in Jordan. Now, predating that, they have grinding stones and like old mill parts that are th over 30,000 years old. That's crazy. But back then, they were probably grinding like seeds and not necessarily wheat, maybe like sunflower, things like that. Um, but that is really pretty interesting, uh, especially like Australia and Europe. There's no definitive evidence that, that they had advanced tools for making bread back then. So if we, got, we talk about uh, bread agriculture, wheat was domesticated in the Fertile Crescent. Um, Neolithic sites in Turkey and Europe from, were started making, having what we would call like semi-modern type breads at about 9,100 years ago. Now, to give you perspective, that is like 4.5 Jesuses ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What? I thought you only measured things in beer. That, that is too big of about a time <laughs> to measure in beer. That would be a lot of beer. But we could like we could do longer periods of time in Jesus's. You know, that's a that's a that's four point five Jesus's ago they were making bread. Uh, ancient uh, Egypt was doing uh, some sort of that artistic depictions already of making bread at ten thousand years ago, which is five Jesus's. Just just in case you're keeping track. Uh, what kind of breads would they make, though? They're making flatbread. They're like unleavened breads. And that's it? Like flatbread? They didn't um, have, like... Well, we don't know. I mean, that's a long time for, like, yeasty stuff. Now, we do we do happen to know, and this is a side quest, slight goat noise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that we do know that they were brewing beer from uh, wheat and barley that long ago, and that their medicus back then had um, beer that had tetracycline in it. And we, um, we know that, that that's why so many people survived their major surgeries back that's then. That's interesting. As that you would go to the Medicus and they'd have, depending on how... So all the alcoholics survive? <laughs> well, the beer back then is not as strong as the beer today. Okay. Uh, it bas they basically fermented everything just so that, just to have enough alcohol in it to kill off all of the unwanted stuff like Girardia. You know, just enough to, to kill off the bad stuff in the... And so what do you... I mean, that... that was through most of human history, all the way up to where they're on boats. I always felt like it'd be the opposite. Like, it'd be, like, way strong no. back then. They had too much shit to do. Mm. Like, they would... <laughs> <laughs> they had they had very weak beers, 1% to 2% alcohol. Uh, and it was just enough to sterilize the water uh, that they were using because you just didn't want to drink the Nile water back then. I mean, not only did you have hippos and crocodiles, but everybody uh. was pooping in it. And yeah. then they were floating dead bodies and stuff. Yeah. Like that too, so... We definitely wanted to brew that beer up and just kind of, you know, sterilize it. So they had different types of beer that had different healing properties. So you would go to the Medicus and he would, you know, jab a hole in your head, do some eye surgery, do some surgery on your bones, heck, you know, remove a finger, whatever. And he'd send you to basically the, like brewery. the brewery, right? And he'd go, he'd write your prescription, hey, you need a beer number 2785, whatever, right? It'd probably be skunky weird beer that makes you not die right and so he'd go they'd go and they'd get basically a prescription for a tetracycline there was so much tetracycline in it that it's measurable in the bones of people who have taken it oh wow 
So it's almost one, they, they'd get like their 100 mil cups would have almost 100 milligrams of tetracycline in them, which was really, really, really freaking cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty awesome, right? It's yeah. a class of antibiotics. Sweet. Yeah. Sweet. Um, and then they had some that had penicillin. They had some that had different things in them. They brewed some that had like, you know, narcotics so that you would go and like, you know, get your basically heroin beer for your headache or Laudlum, or they had a whole bunch of different stuff in, in their beers. The, the brewery guy wasn't just the guy that gets you drunk. He was he was also like the pharmacy. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's right? pretty cool. So much science. All right, so we're at, like, un-goat sound. <laughs> goat sound or reverse. How do you, mm-hmm. how how do you reverse, reverse that? I don't know. <laughs> okay, we're back on it. So, um, yeah, we've got, uh, they, then now there was a lot of... Uh, Neolithic times, uh, they would do bread cones, um, and these are conical loaves of bread they'd use as grave goods, and it looks like they just basically molded it with their hands, and then put it next to a fire to bake, and then they would leave those cones of bread uh, as, you know, baked goods, and that would happen, uh, you know, 5th century, so about uh, 2.25 Jesuses ago. You said these were like charred breads, right? I can't imagine that they're tasty. Um, no, but they're calorie dense, and these were more of the, those ones were more of a uh, like just an offering. Mm. Those weren't like you know to munch on. Oh, okay. Yeah, the breads that you would be the furthest you could probably go back and find bread that you would recognize is going to be in the Greek era. Hmm. Right, like if you were to go back, you'd go to a Greek bakery and you would find leavened breads, you'd find yeast breads, you'd find sourdough breads, you'd find something that looks like a tortillas, you'd find um, all sorts of different things. Because they they really did travel around and learn how to cook and bring that technology back with them. The Greek were also the people that uh, invented uh, freestanding ovens that had a door and they there would something that was my next question like okay what type of ovens did they use uh a really like kind of like like pizza ovens type things that's what i was thinking yeah but but you would recognize it like oh hey that's a bread oven you know you'd be like oh hey they're making bread in there but yeah so i want a pizza oven so bad oh don't get me started it's gonna happen sweetie it's gonna happen it's gonna happen a big one you can put like a whole pig in there you seen when they roast a pig in the in the in the oven like that? No, mm, that's so good. All right. Anyway, um, so that's kind of like you know the history of bread. Then from there, it just it goes to the Middle Ages where it kind of takes a couple steps back. <laughs> How can you go back from that? Because it's the already middle, like charred little discs. No, it of... wasn't back then. Not in the Greek okay. era. Oh, in the Greek era. Okay, okay. Yeah. Now we. So why do we to... go back in the Middle Ages? Because cause... everybody went back. It was just a bunch of. That's what happens when you have Europe. I mean, look at Europe now. What? I mean, sorry. We love you, Europe. Listeners. Europe, we love you. Our listeners are not the average Europeans. They're smart people. Anyway, um, yeah, it's this. There was, you know, massive earth cooling, many ice age, a bunch of smart people died, the dumb people lived, and you ended up with everybody taking a step back and uh, thinking they needed to bathe once a year or the germs were going to, like, the, in the clean water, the germs were going to kill them. Whatever, people were stupid. So they took a kind of a step back in bread technology back then. They lost, they did a lot of trencher style breads where they're just literally making a line in the ash and throwing paste into it and letting it just. Oh, 
Yeah. That sounds terrible. It's not good. Um, you'd get... Everything was like... Your food was served on a piece of flatbread. It was like six inches by four inches. Like a tortilla. So I, yeah. I, I'm down with that. It's like, not like a tortilla. It was like uh, it was like an inch thick. And it was hard as a freaking rock. Oh, no. It was disposable cool. plates that absorbed the liquids and stuff oh, that came okay. off of the stuff. And he would take that stupid plate then and chuck it to the pigs and the pigs would eat it, right? Um, but, yeah. Uh, it just, I don't know. I feel like they kind of went backwards. And, um, then in the 19th century, you know, Renaissance area, everything. An anti-corn law. What the hell? Uh, it's the anti-corn law league. They wanted cheap bread, uh, because they were putting into a tax on corn. Corn wasn't really popularly grown in Europe at the time. Uh, they didn't really, because they, remember, they're just recovering from... What was basically a mini ice age that happened during the Middle Ages, and that's why it like made everything mm. super cold. So corn didn't really grow back, grow very well back then. So they were importing it. Seems like they don't have the best soil then. They do have great soil. That's why they could grow so. That's why they had so many people. But uh, they couldn't. There's just stuff they they couldn't grow at the time. Hmm. So they had huge like corn taxes and whatnot. Well, that stuff really kind of. Um, didn't get abolished until like 1846 so it really did stick around for a long time from like the 14th century <laughs> into the wow. 18th and 19th century um so i don't the, get it for that long i mean people these really... are savages there's a reason we left yeah as americans <laughs> there's a reason we left back in 1492 all right we left when columbus sailed the ocean blue yeah, we left. He was like, I want to go somewhere where they have real bread and they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he's like, that I'm one. tired of this plate. Ah! Yeah, and he throws it across the room yeah. and it shatters a brick. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so they came up with a, they, like uh, 18th century. century uh, there was a, a bread sold in England was often adulterated with chalk, sawdust, Plaster, oh. clay, ammonium carbonate. Would you like the cement? <laughs> yeah. Cement for sale? Uh, what the hell? So, That's terrible. Uh, I could like literally build a house with that. Probably, yeah. It would probably be about as stable as Adobe. Uh, so Frederick Akum was the first person to raise alarm about food alterations in 1820. In 1837, American health reformer Sylvester Graham, uh, like literally the Graham company, Graham, you know, published a treatise on bread and bread making which described how to use unrefined wheat flour to make graham bread at home in response to adulterated bread sold in public bakehouses. It sounds so dirty, like adulterated no. bread sold in bakehouses. Right? Like, it sounds like so, like, I mean, we just... Well, I mean, the way you said it, now it well, does sound it, dirty. Well, look it, it does. It didn't sound dirty when I said it. sounds terrible. Now, when you say it like that, you add... It does sound like prostitute bread. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what it, like, uh, I don't know, like, it's a special house with a red light special that gives you adulterated bread. I don't know. So it wasn't until 1899 that Food Adulteration Acts in Britain came about. Um, and then it was a little while later in the United States before people started out, stopped adding weird stuff to bread. So for some reason, that weird stuff really didn't uh, happen until, like, the 1904 or 1905 area. So... So bread has a pretty pretty fascinating history. 
it was screwed up, then it got really cool in the Greek era, then it took a step back and became like hockey pucks, and then people started adding rat poison and shit to it. What the? Like, hell? just like weird stuff, right? Like, I use cement to kill rats. Uh, and then, like, whatever, right? It's just. Britain's and then a fascinating fast forward answer. to 1904, did they improve that? Because yeah, they passed laws saying, hey, you can't add sawdust and stuff to your publicly I'm for sale I'm built like bread. I need good bread, okay? Yeah. Like, I do not, yeah, I like good bread. Look at me. I'm a snack. So they first, the first introduction of sliced bread was 1912. The first machine that, re- that sliced it, wrapped it, eight, 1928. Wow. That's, uh, that wasn't that long ago. 1928. Sliced yeah. bread. The U.S. government mandated since 1940-41 the fortification of uh, white flour-based foods with nutritional loss millings like thiamine, riboflavin, niacin, and iron. Which is good uh, just because there was a bunch of uh, nutritional deficits. Uh, when did seen? you say that the, the first sliced bread was made? 1912. In 1920 is your first sandwich. Oh, man. How did you women folk get so good at making sandwiches that they've been around very long? Because we... Haven't you ever noticed that any, <laughs> that your sandwich is better <laughs> if somebody else is making it? Like, my sister would be making a sandwich, and I'm like, let me bite your sandwich. And she's like, no. And I'm like, let me have a bite of your sandwich. And I'm like... And then I would have a bite of her sandwich, and then I was like, make me one. Because mine just wouldn't come out as good as hers. But then the same thing with you. Like, I can make you a killer sandwich, and you love it. And then I'm like, you make me a sandwich. It's really weird. It's the art of sandwichery. Sam, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a law, the inverse law of sandwich making. I don't know what it is, but that's crazy. Your, the foreign sandwich is always better sandwich. than the sandwich in hand. The inverse law of sandwich mm-hmm. making. Uh, so, to do. What the sandwich was it? Was, was it bologna? Sorry, I'm getting off topic here, but I, I gotta know. know. I must know. It probably it was. It was bologna sandwich. Really? Wow. Was it? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That's crazy. Yeah. So. Moving on. Yeah. There was a, so there was a, like, and the things kind of sped up from there, and we kind of get to where we're at now. Um, and it, not a lot has changed since the 80s in bread making. And, I mean, I'm sorry to have to say that, because that was not that long ago. Like, that was... Okay, calcium wasn't even added in UK bread until like the 60s and 70s, all right? And they were having people have rickets like up until then because they did, they were eating a lot of bread and they, but they weren't getting enough calcium and stuff. It's just, it hurts my brain to talk. It, I, I'm done. Can't talk about the history of bread anymore. So let's talk about some types of bread. Yeah, and what's we your kinda, favorite? We kind of mentioned a couple of types of bread there where we were at it. We've got uh, uh, flatbreads. Those are going to be your unleavened breads. Those are going to be like your tortillas. Um, those are, well, there's a whole bunch of those. Uh, like the pitas and. Yeah, but pitas have like, they have leavening in them. I'm talking to, have you seen those, um, the, the, what's that bread we like to eat? Oh, the tandoori bread or what's it called? The, um, um, what we ordered from the Indian restaurant? Yeah, yeah. Um, non. Non. Non is going to be like an unleavened bread. Uh, stuff like that. Those are just, it's literally just paste, um, spices and stuff like that. It's spread out thin, rolled thin, 
and then uh, cooked by stopping it on a pillow and then reaching down inside of an oven and slapping the oven against the inside of the oven. And the inside of the oven uh, heats it up real quick. It cooks real, real fast. It peels off onto a plate and you're good to go. So you got flatbreads, you got crackers, which I went through a period of time where I wanted to make crackers and I realized that crackers are not made from a dough. Crackers are made from a, uh, like, what's, like, like a, a, like a really thin dough, kind of like a pancake mix. Because it was a total failure. All right, like, I don't, like, I, I was, I thought, oh, man, I could make soda crackers, right? And, like, like, soda crackers, like, the saltines. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is going to be super easy. So I tried making, like, a really light, well, first off, I read absolutely nothing about them. That's your problem. Yeah. I was like, I can do this. And so I rolled out, like, I made, like, a really light and airy type of, uh, um, like, a, like, a dough you would make for scones and stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Like a really light and airy like dough, but I didn't add very much sugar to it. And then I tried like rolling it as thin as I could, and then cut it into little pieces. And it just kind of curled up and looked like crap in the oven. I mean, it tasted great, didn't taste anywhere like a cracker. So what I think it is, I think it's like more like a liquid that mm-hmm. they pour out onto trays and then flash cook it. You know? That hurts my brain. I don't know. How do you flash cook that? Like a liquid. Well, easily. You just mm, roll it through like an oven that's like super hot. Like, yeah. Super, super hot. Um, so anyway, crackers. Uh, then you've got quick breads, which are like your biscuits, your muffins, your scones, anything like I that. I suck at making biscuits. Would you like to tell your biscuit story? <laughs> I am the worst at making biscuits. I don't understand how because like we you make biscuits in this house all the time. And I'll be happy you to You make biscuits in this house all the time. And his biscuits are amazing. And so I tried. You know, one day I was like, I'm going to learn how to make biscuits. For three days in a row, I made the most terrible biscuits, and I swear my husband ate them with a smile. Like he was so trying to be so nice. And I, was I was trying like, to be supportive. This tastes like shit. What well, did I do? The first I was one, so mad. you doubled the amount of baking soda, and that did not and, go well. And so it was like I don't. It had this weird effect of at the same time drying your mouth out and numbing it. And then, like it was just a lot. It's like eating, a, like, like a, every one of them was eating, like, like eating a half a teaspoon of uh, Cement. baking soda. <laughs> or baking soda. just, like, swish, swishing it around your mouth for a minute. It was, uh, it was pretty intense. Uh, the second time, I think you added, you added, you were really way hesitant. Way too much salt. Yeah. You were hesitant to add baking powder and baking soda, but you added way too much salt. I mean, unedible. Oh. Unedible. Well, I threw them outside to the birds eventually, and the damn chickens wouldn't even. I don't think they wanted to eat no. them. It was so bad. It, they I stayed do it again. there in the rain. And Maybe I'll practice just again. Disappear. I don't know. I'll have to give it a try again. Yeah. So, and, and biscuits are really, really simple. Um, if y'all want to write uh, down a biscuit recipe, I'll be happy to give you one real quick. Uh, most of my recipes are generally have pretty, pretty bad names, um, but I come up with a bunch of them all the time. And what we're going to do is we're going to. Uh, Put a bunch of our bread recipes, which we have that are our own recipes that we mm-hmm. do uh, just in this house that we've came up with over time into a, uh, a downloadable online book and we'll, you know, cookbook will charge like, I don't know, five bucks for it or something like that. And it'll have a whole bunch of recipes in there yeah. from us. So this is going to be my biscuits uh, as blank recipe. 
Biscuits it's, AF. Yeah, basically. That's that's pretty much what it says. So it's two cups of flour, one teaspoon sugar, one tablespoon baking powder, one teaspoon salt, eight tablespoons of butter cubed, and three cups, three quarters cups of milk, more or less. Salted or unsalted butter? Uh, d- just butter. Just don't overthink this. Okay. Yeah. But I always ask because sometimes I had a too much salt issue in my bread. That's so. because you don't me- you, you didn't measure. I measured with my heart and my yeah. heart was Your wrong. heart was salty. <laughs> it your was heart salty. was salty. It was. So you're going to preheat your oven to 360 degrees freedom. Uh, that's 360 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I don't know Celsius, so we're going to go 360 degrees freedom. In a large bowl, you're going to combine your flour, your sugar, just all the dry stuff. And then you're going to, you, you got, y'all should have either two knives, like just two butter knives or a uh, pasta knife, or a, what is it, a pastry knife, mm-hmm. right? I have a pastry knife. Pastry knives are like a whole bunch of little slotted knives next to each other, and you just like jab it in there. So you just take all of your, um. Jab, jab. No, like when you shank, no, when you get shank, jab, stab jab. You. Okay. So you'd have a, you, you take your pastry knife and you just chop up your butter into it. And you work it until it's smaller than, like, until it basically disappears and becomes like a uniform crumbly mixture. Um, you can do that with two knives by kind of crossing them and just chick, 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 chick. It takes forever. Um, you can squish it up with a fork. However you want to incorporate your butter into your dry ingredients until it, the butter disappears. Uh, it may be like tiny, tiny bits you can see. But other than that, it's just complete disappeared. Then you're going to add your milk until you come to a nice stiff dough. You're not going to roll this dough. You're not going to mess it up. You can either roll it. You can roll it once out flat to cut it. If you want fancy looking biscuits, what I normally do is I take a bit of it out in my hand and I roll it out and then just kind of squish it between my two palms and then put it on. Uh, um, and I'm not really good at making them pretty circular that way. And then put it on, just drop them onto a well-greased sheet. And then into the oven for 360 degrees until they're done. And people go, well, what's that? I'm like, just, it doesn't take long, like 10 minutes, if that. Just, you look in there and they'll be perfectly white. And you pick up the bottom with uh, like a fork or your finger. And the bottom's just starting to turn golden brown. Cut off, take them out, put them onto a you know cooling rack or just remove them from the heat. And you're good to go. And those are biscuits. I have made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these. Um, I used to make huge batches that we'd go and we'd take and feed the homeless people because it's so fast and easy to make these biscuits that we'd do like 210 biscuits at a time. Um, and we'd go and we'd, we'd give them away to the, the shelter and they really, really appreciated with that. Um, so we'll give you much the other recipes there as we go in our, in our cookbook. So we might rec- we might uh, like reference something, but you- you'll you'll be able to have access to it here shortly. So we're gonna get into some yeast type breads. Um, I have. Can one- I tell you what my favorite bread is that you make? Which one? The farmhouse bread. The farmhouse bread. That's farmhouse a yeast bread. bread. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite. The farmhouse bread. I call it the farmhouse bread. I don't think it exists anywhere else. I came up with it. I let the alcohol talk to me one day, and came up with this bread. And it is more like a um, really runny dough than it is a bread, uh, but it's yeast bread, and it um, like comes out absolutely perfect mm-hmm. every cold single winter time. nights. Warm bread out of the oven with some butter. Oh man, it was amazing. I'm so spoiled. 
yeah it it's a uh, it's super super easy to do um to do i was looking for my chingaso about it you are not sharing that recipe sir why did I say this one? Because we shared our other one. So the biscuits. Yeah, visit our book so oh, okay. you can get our farmhouse bread. Yeah, but anyway, the now people might get upset about my measurements in the farmhouse bread, but understand that when I came up with it years ago, I was under the influence of whiskey, and so it's ish. A lot of the stuff is ish. But it's really, really, really hard to mess up. Like, it, it's such a forgiving bread. Yeah, see, I'm good at farmhouse bread. I'm good at all the other breads, but biscuits. Biscuits kick my ass. I don't, I don't know, know why. why. I don't know why. It's so simple. Don't know why. It's so easy. It's the baking soda. <laughs> I always get it wrong. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's really, really easy. Mm -hmm. Well, the farmhouse bread... And it sells really well. So for anybody that wants to bake bread, you know, sell some baked goods, um, farmhouse bread sold really well. Oh, farmhouse bread, because it comes out so perfect every time. Like, uh, it's... You can't... You, to over-bake it, you would have to just forget about it and walk away for, like, a long, long time. Because it, it's just so such a forgiving bread. It always comes out exactly perfect. New people, when I teach bread classes... I teach with the farmhouse bread because it's... It's perfect. It's so... There, there's so much margin for error. Yeah. And the loaves look so pretty. Oh, they come out beautiful mm -hmm. and domed and perfect every single time. So baked goods were a big uh, selling um, or a big item that sold a lot, you know. Oh, yeah. So on top of us, like, harvesting our fruits and veggies and all that and, and processing it and making jams, jellies, and everything that we're going to make for the farmer's market along with soap and everything else, there we were baking as well, you know? So we would have, well, like, to, we would to pick... to be fair, to make a five-gallon batch... Yeah, like it was a easy. a bucket of the dough yeah. for the farmhouse bread was, like, just... it, it It's a scoop, some of this, some of that, yeah. blah, just go. My husband does not make anything, you know, he's always making every... cooking everything in mass quantities. And this is the, we always share and, like, invite friends over for dinner and things like that. Well, we that's just our, made that's, kimchi, and I yeah, just made, just like, made, five gallons Yeah, of we just made kimchi, and now I have kimchi out of my ears. But I have my friends that are going to come over and pick up some kimchi, you know. So it's all this Yeah, way. it's all cool. Um, but, yeah, so farmhouse bread sold really well. Um, it looked pretty. And, you know, we would wrap it and all that. And then we'd also, what also sold really well were our baguettes. Baguettes. Our baguettes, because we would make a fresh pesto. And so we had people that would come pick up their baguette in like a French, you know, uh, what was that uh, paper, the butcher paper that yeah, we put it in? Paper. Just butcher paper. We would wrap it all cool. Because it was cheap. Yeah, it was cheap. So we'd wrap it all cool. We'd give them, you know, they'd purchase a bar of pesto, uh, I'm sorry, a jar of pesto. And then they would dip it and it was like the most delicious thing ever. So yeah, that was pretty cool. So I, those are my two favorites. So baguettes are really, really simple. Yeah. You're going to make a simple, like plain white bread type recipe and then you're gonna take and roll it out thin and leave it alone mm -hmm. and let it rise and then punch it back down and roll it again and then the part that was up is now going to be facing down and then make little cuts across the top of mm -hmm. it let it rise again and then pop it into a cold oven and turn to 350 and that what that do is it'll cause it to get real nice and airy on the inside because mm -hmm. it'll rise super super quick while it's getting hot and by the time it's hot enough to start baking it 
And the yeast to start dying, you get yeah. that nice crust on the outside. We would sell out every time. So baked yeah. goods for farmer's markets are a very good idea if you're thinking about it, or if you're on the fence about it. They're very simple to make. Yeah, if you're if you're pondering making baked goods, this is your sign. Do it. You yeah. won't be disappointed with the results. You'll sell out all so, the time. Zucchini bread did really well too. Yeah, well that's not that's not a simple. We'll put the, I'll put my zucchini bread AF uh, recipe oh, in the book. Stuff. Yeah. It is not. Uh, it, it's a little bit more involved. It's probably the best zucchini bread recipe ever. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm not being shy agreed. about that because no, I've agreed. tried. I mean, we had zucchinis coming coming out of our ears. So we had to get really creative, and my husband's just very gifted at cooking and making all sorts of deliciousness. And so we one year I was like, oh, you know, my first year on the farm we had an abundance of zucchini, so I was like, well, let's try zucchini bread, and we did, and it was amazing, amazing. And people were like, do you have any more zucchini bread? And we made we, so like, much. We made so much because we had so so many. We had our zucchini in the field, in the field, right? That was a yeah, field crop. That was a field in crop. a row. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, so there was a lot of zucchini. So. If you're thinking out there of planting like a hundred zucchini plants, just don't. You don't hate yourself that much. <laughs> It was right. so bad. I mean, we couldn't give away zucchini anymore. Oh, dude, the food, the the, the people at the food, uh, the the homeless shelter and stuff like that, the food bank would see us and lock the damn door because they're like, they were nope. like, nope. They, I know they're coming over here with that whole truck full of zucchini and squash. No, no, no. Because, you know, we were selling it and we were, man, we were practically giving it away. Like, hey, take three for an I hour. I like squash, though, you know? So. Yeah, but not when it's when it's in such an abundance. Yeah, I couldn't even, I mean, everyday squash, like, I don't know. What else did we make that was fun? Uh, the squash relish? Squash relish was really good. Yeah. But we're talking about breads. What other breads that we make that were fun? I mean, we've made uh, all kinds of bread. stuff. Banana bread. Banana bread. Banana bread. Well, we've been to pretzels are really, really easy. Pretzels and bagels are made almost exactly. Donuts. Yeah. So if we're going to talk about pretzels and bagels. Pretzels and bagels, is a, it's a stiff dough. And then you boil a bunch of water. You bring a heavily salted water to a boil. And you throw it in there for about 30 seconds on each side. And you take it out and that gives it this chewy texture. And then you bake it. And that's how you make mm. your, that's how, that's how they get their chewiness. That's donuts too. No. I've seen, well, I see you boil them, right? No, you've seen me boil uh, bagels. bagels. Oh, okay. Yeah, so bagels sorry. and pretzels meant, are made yeah, the same. Yeah, I got confused. So, yeah, bagels. Uh, so, to make a sourdough, a sourdough is just a... Uh, now, you need to make a sourdough starter. That's sour... the challenge right there. I think that's a little complex. Nah, it's just... Uh, now, on its basic level, it is you take a cup, a container, a bowl... Uh, you put a couple of tablespoons of flour, a little bit of water, and just a touch of sugar in there. And you set it out somewhere until it starts bubbling. You're going to capture wild yeast that are in the air all the way, all the time. There's yeast around you everywhere. But it's a wild yeast, you don't know what kind you're going to get. So uh, you're going to also pick up your lactobacillus, uh, which is going to give it the souriness, and some of the malolactic uh, fermentation bacteria as well. Um, so... It's kind of a crapshoot of where it's going to be good or not. Um, I mean, I have that one that's in the fridges. They're there. Once they're, you have one, they're good forever, practically. Um, now, a lot of places have caught on and started selling the starters, where they can buy them either as a liquid or as a powdered starter. We've seen Red Star Yeast has their uh, um, their sourdough starter in a package. Yeah. And it's it's worth it. I think it's great. It works really well. Fleshman's Yeast also has one. 
Um, I like Fleshman's. I like the I like the Red Star's uh, sourdough starter. Mm. It has like four different uh, bacteria, two different types of yeast in it, and it's a really good starter. The best sourdough starter I ever had in my entire life, I got from a cherry tomato. Interesting. Yeah. So what would happen is it when we talked about our seed saving episode, where I, where you go and you like blend up the the yeah. tomato in, the, in a little bit of water with a little mm-hmm. sugar and let it ferment, right? To save the seeds and that fermentation process will, will clean the seed coat off of the seeds and the bad seeds will float and the good seeds sink. Well, I did that with the cherry tomatoes. I had some cherry tomatoes that had been on the vine for too long. And they were all kind of like crinkly skinned, like they were they were old. Well, I just took them and put them and just mashed them up with like a fork with a little bit of water because uh, they were super, super sweet. I think I added like maybe a quarter of a teaspoon, just a pinch of uh, sugar and like a cup of water and like four or five tomatoes. And I put a uh, you know, a glove over the top. And after a couple of days, it fermented like crazy, like fast. And I was like, wow, there's got to be some really killer yeast in there. And I smelled it and it smelled sweet and amazing. I was like, holy crap, you could pretty much drink that. And so I poured off the liquid, poured it through a strainer, and I just added some uh, flour to it. And it came out to be one of my favorite sourdough starters i had uh my entire life like i kept that thing alive for a long 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 time and i've been meaning to make another one from a cherry tomato or another tomato so if you have any old tomatoes around your vine for a long time you can ferment them a little bit and turn them into a sourdough starter it'll be amazing amazing sourdough starter it was the fruitiest like it would add notes of fruit and um, like apricot and stuff like that to mm. the bread. It was really really good. Hey, oh, so it was uh, one of my like super super. Overall, it's a really good way to uh, get you a wild yeast to capture wild yeast. So, and as far as sourdoughs go, you're gonna cook it on pretty much the exact same way you would anything else. Um, for yeast and buying yeast and storing yeast, there's a big thing about, oh, we should you should buy your yeast and keep it in the freezer. Uh, not the biggest fan of that. If you're going to buy bulk yeast, I'm talking like those, those big one-pound blocks or whatever, I just say to keep them in a dry container out of the light and at a reasonable temperature, and they're going to last for a long time. It's freeze-dried, so as long as it doesn't get, like, super wet or anything it's gonna last forever and ever uh they last a long long time uh i'm not a big fan of putting anything that might be alive and you want it to keep alive in the freezer (laughs) i'm laughing because remember the time that i opened every package of fleischmann's and i put it in a jar and you were like why (laughs) you're so (laughs) mad at me I I thought it would look cute in our baker's rack, and I was like, oh, man, I screwed up. I had all these blocks of the yeast stored, because, you know, in that little one-pound vacuum-sealed foil pouch, like, it'll last for, I mean, the expiration date's on them, like, five or six years. (laughs) Nope, not in our household. Not in our household. They just all needed to be in the... Tupperware container on the that counter. That was cute that it I got a, from Ikea. It was cute. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. They're, now they're only like six or eight yeah, months. Yeah, I expedited their usage. Now I'm there's like, no way I'm going to use five pounds yeah. of yeast 
in six months. I screwed up so bad. I felt so bad about that. Well, at least it wasn't during Rona when you couldn't find yeast. Or like, yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. You remember that? We could not find yeast anywhere. It was so hard to find. We had to order it. Well, yeah, but it was a, uh, it's not hard to, to make yeast, you know? Yeah, we've always just had it, so we weren't like on a, in a dire need of it. But it was kind of obviously scary. Uh, it made us feel a little, like insecure, of course, because well, most of, of our yeast stuff is on. in storage still. Yeah, because um, we, you know, we never moved out of when we moved into this house. We didn't bring everything. We left entire yeah, storage. Yeah, because remember, guys, we're like in limbo right now, and it sucks. But, yeah, waiting for uh, them to finish building yeah, the house. Counting down and. Uh, that's the only thing when you're buying like land in a house and the building process and having to wait and like the way be, be in the you. in between because yeah. you know like you're like already ready you're so ready my yeah. own kitchen to my specs and you're like I want to be, have the land that can go out and chop stuff and build things ugh man yeah. you got that primal urge to go and pee in your own trees yeah. Yeah, I don't get that urge, but, <laughs> but okay. I mean, I'm down with everything else except being on trees. Yeah, you gotta go market territory. Establish dominance. Okay, I'll leave that to you. The uh, when we were out there looking at the land again uh, yesterday, all of the little oh, tunas yeah. are running. We have a lot of cactus, unfortunately, so we're gonna have to do a lot of clearing. But on a positive note, the tunas were ready. They were a dark purple, you know, at the top. So we're looking forward to making some wine. And we'll we'll bring you Guess guys what? along. It's our land, so we can pick them if we want to. Yeah, and we'll bring you them. guys uh, along on that journey about how we process them and how we make wine out of them, because it's really not that difficult. It's 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 a pretty straightforward process. You just kind of burn off all the little. Well, you pick them with uh, the what stopped us yesterday is that I was I, only thing I had with us was like a couple of pair of like cheap latex gloves from work. Yeah. And, uh, and a, like a garbage bag. And I was like, I'll just pick a bunch of them. Ah, the spines went right through the latex glass. I told you they would, and you did not listen to me. So, barbecue tongs are the way to go to yeah. pick those. Barbecue, barbecue tongs, and then you burn them off. You, like, roast yep. them, basically. It works out really well. You just hit them real burn quick off with the needles. Them. Or the little blowtorch. Yeah, you just hit works. them real quick with a little blowtorch on all those different sides. Uh, I put them on, like, in a piece of expanded metal or a piece of a grill grating. And just do like you know a few handfuls at a time to make sure you get all of them done. But it's it sounds like it's a it's a long process. It's not. The spines just immediately evaporate when they hit a flame. They just go away, and that just makes sure that you're not uh, feeding your family and friends uh, jelly and wine that will uh, kill them. Yeah. Accidentally spikes. Yeah. No, thank you. Not fun. Not fun. But it's totally worth it because it's a it's a really good source of. Uh, well, free fruit. It's it's delicious. It's really quite good. Um, we also right. had mesquite beans on our trees, so that's yeah. pretty cool. Mesquite bean we jelly. Love mesquite bean jelly. Oh, the Native Americans used to make bread out of the mesquite beans. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you can substitute can up to thirty percent of your flour in any any recipe with ground mesquite bean flour. Interesting. It's the whole pot. Is the pod, the bean, and everything you just... I'm going to need one of those molcajetes. Why? We have a flour meal. Oh. Well, okay. We'll do flour meal. Yeah. That's going to take you... A, all right. You don't want to go... You want to play... <laughs> you want to play, I'm a native? Go for it. There was a reason that their lives suck. Hey, I want one anyway. Just to, like, 
do my spices, grind my spices and everything. We have like, a No, I don't have like a no, I don't have like an official lava rock and like all that setup. The one straight up from Mexico. That's what I want. Okay. That'll work. I'm gonna use my uh my grain grinder. Because that's gonna be a lot faster. I'll just we'll see who wins. I'll put it's I'll not just not about being fast, honey. It's the art. What I'm gonna wanna make a bunch Who's of have bread to pictures? sale. Me. <laughs> yeah, you look at me because you know I'm right. Well, your pictures will be cooler, but my products will be superior. Uh, right in the heart. In the heart. So what do we got for news? I know it's going to be mostly doom and gloomy. Unfortunately, there are some things that are concerning. You know, you have like... You have, I'm sorry, I'm being distracted by my, my, my four-year-old. Um, but we have a couple of things that are concerning, you know, like, um, so Georgia is experiencing a failure of crops for their peaches and not only peaches, peaches are probably not the most fragile fruit to grow, but they're definitely up there in, in fragility. And, but you also have apples and other crops that are being affected. And we have El Nino to thank for that because he's disrupting all our weather and changing, you know, um, types of weather. So, they're historically like they've always had a really cold, you know, um, what was what was it called? They hours. Need the, chill they hours. have so yeah. so peaches need a certain amount of chill hours, to so freeze fruit. hours to set to set fruit, and then it'll warm up, and then they bloom and blossom and all that good stuff, right? But well, what happened? Water. Yeah, <laughs> water. of course. But what happened is that they had a out of normal uh, warm February, so like historically like a record warm february and then they had a a a historic record freeze in march and Which caused so, all the blossoms yeah it it caused it all to go out so i mean they ha they usually typically have about 80 migrant workers in this one particular farm um but they're at 30 migrant workers because there's no work there's no peaches and so that just affects a lot of things, you know. And and what's really interesting is that because they consider peach is considered um, not like a main crop, the insurance that these farmers get. I mean, they they even went to go lobby this insurance because it doesn't cover peaches. Um, it only covers major crops like corn and and beans and things like that. And so they had to go lobby so that you know the insurance can cover them and. You know, they just lobbied this year about it, and now they have a peach failure, and there's nothing to the, the, the they're getting very very little help. Those farmers out there are getting very little help. Well, I, mean, I, haven't, that. I have to admit, I haven't seen the peaches on the side of the road that usually are around. Yeah, here. exactly right. Yeah. We, there's a time of year where you see everybody selling peaches. Mm -hmm. They sell the Fredericksburg peaches, and I have not seen. Well, I haven't peaches. seen them at all this year. That's crazy. When I was up in Fredericksburg the other day, and I didn't see like Das Peach House and all those ones. Yeah. Right now. They didn't have anything out. Yeah. That's huh. interesting. I didn't even notice that until you brought it up, but you were absolutely right. And uh, just pro tip, the way to tell whether or not a peach is ready is if you see it red on three sides. Once it's red on three sides, then it's ready for, for picking. But if it's not, or, you know, if it, you leave it any longer than that, then it's going to go soft. Um, so you don't want to do that. But, yeah, it's just a bummer to to hear about these farmers and how they're struggling right now. And there's nothing, there's no insurance to help them. And, you know, the, it's affecting everything, migrant workers, them making money, all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, just, I don't know. It's, it's concerning. 
I want to know about the sriracha shortage that so, you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, the other, the other, in other shortage news, we have uh, the sriracha shortage, and it's caused by the same drought uh, that hit the Georgia and everywhere else, has uh, caused a complete failure of the jalapeno pepper crops in Mexico. Uh, that's and that's what they're made. What sriracha is made from is red jalapenos, so. And that takes a long time to go from a regular green jalapeno to grow up and get a, become a red jalapeno and get the sweetness that you want in it, out of it. And uh, so now they're like talking about sriracha peppers are going, for, you know, sriracha's going for like $120 about a bottle. I'm like, wow, I make a lot of hot sauce. And I mean, I will happily sell anybody out there listening uh, a bottle. A, quart jar of my hot sauce for 120 bucks. But you don't understand sriracha is like sriracha. Mine's really close. Really close. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll even sign the jar if you want to spend 120 bucks on it. I thought I saw some sriracha at the grocery store, but everybody's like that's not the real sriracha. So Well, there's a there's that. I think ATB makes their own now. Oh, there's okay. like a there's like a knockoff brand. When we were at the Asian grocery store, I didn't notice any sriracha. Mm. There was a there was some Filipino version, but it had like a lot of fish sauce in it, yeah. and I was like, eh. I mean, if I wanted to add fish sauce to my uh, sriracha, I would add fish sauce to my sriracha, right? Put some fish sauce in my sriracha, baby. I don't think that's a song. <laughs> it's going to be now. <laughs> So if we're gonna talk about the uh, Ooh, that looks delicious. the tree of the day is gonna be the Dancy Tangerine. Um, it's kind of a newish tree that's been recently coming out. You can pretty much grow it anywhere in the, in, in the United States from zone two to eleven, but it's that's if you're gonna grow it in a pot and bring it in and out, right? So it says the Dancy Tangerine tree, a heavy producer of tangy tangerines. The Dancy Tangerine tree. Um, also known as the Dancy or Dancy Mandarin, is a compact evergreen citrus tree. It's a popular cultivar with a prize for its juicy, sweet fruit. It has a thin, easy peel rind and compact size. Dancy Tangerine is believed to be the result of a crossing two mandarins, each with uh, some amount of pomelo in their DNA. The Dancy Tangerine is well adapted to warm subtropical climates and can be grown just about anywhere when kept as a patio plant. The tree typically grows a height of 10 to 12 feet with a round or oval-shaped canopy. The leaves of Dancy Tangerine have their glossy, the dark green, oval shape. The tree blooms in late winter or early spring, making large flushes of white, fragrant flowers. Um, Dancy Tangerine is a small to medium-sized, round or slightly oblate. It has a thin, smooth rind that is bright orange in color. The Dancy Tangerines are spicy with a lower level of acidity, that oranges with a sweeter flavor that's not too sour or bitter. The fruit easily splits into segments, make it great for snacky. Other than that, you can pretty much just grow it uh, anywhere. Uh, it's cold hardy down to 32 degrees, so you can bring it right inside when it starts getting super, uh, super cold outside. It's really, really neat. Uh, when you buy them, they're kind of small trees, so it takes them two or so years for them to fruit so super fun super awesome about that what else we got we're gonna do the the plant of the day too Ooh, this the, is my favorite the plant of the day is gonna be rosemary uh rosemary uh, now something you might not know is rosemary is in the mint family 
I didn't know that. I, I thought it was like in like the Evergreen family. Because when you I start, guess the Evergreen. Yeah, show. when you start whacking on it, it smells like a pine tree, you know. And it looks kind of like a pine tree, like right? pine needles. It's interesting. Here, uh, it just grows like a weed. Like, I love it. Yeah, I love it grows it. like a. People use it in landscaping or hedges around here. Like you could trim it with a hedge trimmer. Just like yeah, it, it grows like insane around here. I don't bother buying rosemary at the grocery store. Just, just go get some yard. from your neighbors. Yeah. yeah, or your neighbor's yard. Rosemary is native to the dry, rocky areas of the Mediterranean, especially along the coast. The name uh, Rosemarius derives from a Latin word, who cares, which together translates to dew of the sea. Rosemary. Did you say dude of the sea? Dew of the sea. Oh, I thought dude of the sea. I'm like, wow, what is, who's that? So, rosemary has been used since the time of the early Greeks and Romans. Greek scholars often wore a garland of herb around their heads to help keep help them with the memory during exams. Uh, that's why you'd see that garland around people's heads. That was actually supposed to be like rosemary. What did it do again? Memory. It was supposed to help them with the memory. Oh, really? So, like, you know, like, we see the little yeah, gold crowns course, and stuff? Yeah, of course, yeah. Those, the gold crowns depict having a crown of a rosemary around your head. From memory, wow. To help you with your memory. So, uh, in the ninth century, Charlemagne insisted herb be grown in the royal gardens, the Eau de Cologne, that uh, Napoleon... Eau de Cologne, that's like smell of cologne or perfume or Yeah, whatever. pretty much. Okay. The uh, Napoleon Bonaparte used was made of rosemary. Uh, it's because he smelled, I mean, he rode elephants. and Well, he was not the elephant person. Was Napoleon the elephant person? Did he take him and he attacked the French little dude? Somebody. He was the little dude. Yeah. I know, but did he also have elephants? I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, it's been a minute. But I know he was like a small little angry guy. Uh, and he was French, so they smelled already. Um, <laughs> so, like, just smelling like shame, you know. Like, rosemary is probably a step up. Uh, the herb was also subject of many poems and mentioned in five Shakespeare's plays. Myths and folklore, folklore about it is a sprig of rosemary was placed in the hands of the deceased at a funeral as a symbol of remembrance. Brides often wore rosemary at their weddings because it was also a symbol of happiness, loyalty, and love. Legend have it that rosemary originally had white flowers. They changed to blue when the Virgin Mary placed her cloak upon it while resting during her flight to Egypt. Interesting. I want to make a... So I make flower crowns, you know, off of, you know, all types of different flowers, but I've never made a rosemary crown. And now you're saying that it helps with um, memory. So I'm going to make one for my sister. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really, really easy to grow. It comes back pretty much every time. You can't murder it real well. I've seen, The only time I've ever seen it get really murdered was a hard freeze. It doesn't seem to come back from a real hard, real, real hard freeze. Um, and it mm, doesn't we like, did have that one hard freeze that uh -huh. it, it really affected a rosemary. I remember that. And it doesn't like to be overwatered. It gets uh, root rot if you're not real careful. So if, if you're going to plant it somewhere outside, add some amendments like sand and gravel to the soil. Uh, because it definitely, like, it definitely enjoys that. Pruning it makes it happier and grow more. You can grow it inside if you want, but your whole house will smell like rosemary. Um, rosemary salt has always been a big seller for a lot of people. Like We use it in our spice. Yeah. Yeah, so we make spices too, guys. Visit our Etsy and you'll be able to order some spices. 
oh, rosemary is a big component of our recipe. But uh, but people would just make rosemary salt, or like mm. garlic rosemary salt. Interesting. Well, they just take garlic powder, kosher salt, and rosemary, and grind it up together, and then sell that to people in little pre little shakers. Mm. And uh, it was always a good seller at the farmers markets. People enjoyed it. It smells good. It tastes good. You can use it on pretty much everything. So, crafters use rosemary to make wreaths and garlands. So I guess yeah. I've had, I've used rosemary to make soap. soap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes great soap. Uh, you harvest rosemary by just chopping pieces off of it, <laughs> and then stripping all the little fine leaves off of it. It's pretty straightforward. It's not. It's not super difficult. Rosemary is cool. Rosemary is all. Rosemary is life. What else you got? Um, that's all I got. That's all I got today, honestly. Yeah. I'm out of gas now. I'm tired. It's been a long week. It's been a long, great week, but long. It's been a good week. It's been, it's good been hot. Oh, jeez. Man, it's been hot. If I see somebody jogging in the middle of the day, I'm like, what in the hell is wrong with you? Do you really hate yourself? It's that been much? like 108. Yeah, of yeah. course. I don't want to be jogging outside. Heck no. Yeah, 108 here in Texas, it's just a beast of a summer. Not yeah. not cool. It's cool if you have a pool. Haha, <laughs> I rhymed. But honey, you need to make me a pool because I'm a water baby. So I will definitely have Once we move. our pool, Once margaritas we move. with fresh lemonade. And I'm telling you guys, I went on this whole, like, I'm going to make fresh lemonade kick. And so I decided um, this past weekend, That's what we're I now. traveled to um, my hometown because we were having kind of sort of like a family reunion. I mean, you give Mexicans any reason to party, and we're going we're gonna to have a fiesta. And it was a fiesta. And so I was like, my brilliant ideas were like, ooh, I'm going to make my lemonades at a fiesta. Let me tell you, my clavicle was sh was sore the next day. My wrist was sore the next day because I was muddling. Muddle, muddle. Yeah, I was like mush, but it was like muddle, muddle, you know. I was like muddling lemonades like all night because, again, the party was outside. It was hot as hell. And my lemonade was just so refreshing. I mean, people were texting me and messaging me today asking me for my recipe. And, um, yeah, it was like just a standard recipe you could find anywhere. But, you know, I made lemonade fresh lemonade for everybody and it was amazing and i'm just on this lemonade kick so it's gonna i i i feel and i sense that my husband's gonna have to grow citrus for me one and two that i'm always gonna have lemons at the house to make anybody that comes oh, and yeah. visits me a fresh glass of lemonade so i like i want to grow i very much want to grow citrus yeah we already have our first few citrus trees and though they're in containers out in front yeah my husband today he asked me can you make me a lemonade i had to make him three and they're 32-ounce cups, so they're big cups, and he loves them, so. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. It's not, there's not very I much I think it'll be a nice bonus when he's working outside and putting stuff together for me to make him a fresh lemonade. Yay, Yay. I get to be a slave. Yeah, but then you get fresh lemonade. Oh. And then you get to make me bread. Huh. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. All right, guys. We appreciate y'all listening. We love our listeners. Oh, where do we get a jump, a spike? Oh, we need to give Australia, our friend, a shout out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Big Blue. Forget that. Sorry. Yeah. Big Blue. Big shout out. Big Blue uh, managed to uh, get us some seeds from uh, finger lime trees. We were talking about finger limes and wanting finger lime trees. And so they got us some seeds, which was super cool. Now we just got to see if they're going to grow. Yeah, we got to. 
bunch of other really cool seeds in there as well. Super excited to get those going and uh, see what they turn into. Uh, very excited. Thank you very much, Big Blue. We very much uh, we love yeah, our listeners. Yeah, much love. I got my candle. You sent me a scented candle. You sent me a cinnamon uh, stick wreath. You sent me um, some earrings. You sent our daughter a nice little plushie. Oh, um, dude, she loves that thing. Zoe from, from Sesame Street, and she loves her. And so we really appreciate you. That really that that really struck a chord in our hearts. And, and just the fact that we make an impact across the globe, like... You have no idea how, what that meant. I was, I mean, I had literally had bragging rights the whole day because it's not every day that you can connect with somebody, you know, in, in Australia and that, that's going to send you something. It's just so special. And so thank you very much. We really appreciate you guys. Oh, yeah. We love our listeners. And if you guys would ever like to get in touch with us, you can do that through uh, this Feral Life podcast at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of us uh, through, well, our, uh, we have the face, the, the Instagram. Yeah, we have our Instagram. Instagram. Yep, Uh, we have our Instagram. Um, If you guys want to support us in our, you know, endeavors and trying to get this off the ground, uh, definitely visit our Etsy shop, uh, This Feral Life. You can like us on uh, Facebook, too. We have This Feral Life with our little uh, Howling Wolf logo is Mm -hmm. on uh, Facebook as well. Uh, You can get a hold of me from there or both of us from there pretty quick. And uh, if you want to be a guest, you know, also message us. Let oh, us know. Yeah. We'd like, love yeah, to we can have totally you on. have you on, and you know, we'll just shoot the breeze and see what's going on on your neck of the woods, and you know, ask you what your experience with farming and, and self sustaining has been, and, and trade. And what got you into it? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got a story. It's always fun to talk to them. Exactly. With that, guys, uh, and our toddler oh, on the basis of a One other shout out. Can I give a shout out? Sure. So, something that I read that was really cool about an actor, Josh Dumal, like, I think, you know, I loved you as an actor already, but you're a total badass because apparently you're, like, you have a whole, like, a compound <laughs> or a nice little prepper cabin in, in North Dakota, I think it was, and, man, that is so freaking cool. I mean, I thought you were rad already. You're just that much cooler, man. So, give us a shout out. Reach out to us. Say hello. Like, come on our show. Like, that would be amazing to hear your story. So... That's all I wanted to say. And our toddler's melting down. And it's time for bedtime. Time for bedtime. All right, guys. Uh, that's going to do it for the day. Sorry for a little bit shorter episode. We've got a lot of stuff going on. We'll have a longer one for you. If there's anything you'd like to like to hear about specifically, please shoot us a message. Shoot us an email. If you have any complaints, comments, concerns, or want to be on the show, you can also do that. This is going to be This Feral Life Podcast at gmail.com uh, our Etsy is thisfairlife.etsy.com and you can find all sorts of our goods and swag over there and our book where our, our first cookbook bread book. our bread book <laughs> will be up on there give me a week or two I need to actually I, there's a couple of the breads that I haven't made recently and I need to take make and take pictures of so that I can put them in the book but it'll all be absolutely step-by-step, picture-by-picture. Uh, and it'll be, you know, very high production value. You guys will like it. Uh, it'll be available as an ebook, And you could just print it off if you wanted it. But uh, I don't believe it's going to be in a print book at this time. Because it's just going to be a, a booklet, maybe 25 to 50 pages. But give me a couple weeks on that, and I'll have that together for y'all. All right, guys, uh, we love you, and good night. Good night.